0: Hello and welcome to another sustainable wine podcast with me Toby Webb and joining me in today's podcast is Wendy Narby uh, from Insider Tasting a Bordeaux expert uh, and who's been writing some really interesting pieces about sustainability in Bordeaux recently so we thought on the basis of that we could have a, a bit of a chat about what Wendy's learned in her many years in Bordeaux about sustainability and what it means and where it's going so welcome to the podcast Wendy
1: thank you very much Toby nice to be here
0: So you've, uh, as I mentioned in that brief intro, you've been in Bordeaux a long time. Why don't you just give us a brief overview of of who you are and what you've been doing uh, as concisely as you can before we get started?
1: Well, yes, I have been in Bordeaux for a long time. I arrived in 89. 89. Um, and I'm mainly uh, a wine educator for want of a better word. So I teach at the, the Bordeaux Wine School. I'm an educator for, for the Medoc in particular. And as you mentioned, I write on the blog trying to share this uh, this passion that I've had for Bordeaux for uh, a long time with uh, people who are interested. Yeah.
0: So let's start out by defining our terms of reference. What do we mean when we say Bordeaux? Because You sort of think of a city with some vineyards around it, but that's not really right, is it? It's actually an enormous geographical or jurisdictional region of France when we talk about Bordeaux and wine.
1: Yeah, it is. It's enormous, um, which I think makes it fabulous because it's diverse. It's really interesting. We've got 110,000 hectares of vineyards there's about 6,000 different wineries or, of course, Chateau, as they're called in, uh, in Bordeaux. And um, we've got 60 odd different appellations. So you've got this huge diversity and because it's so big. You've also got a diversity of climate, um, you know, microclimates, climate. So when we're talking about sustainability and, and this diversity means, I think, it's in a way it's much more interesting, but it's much more difficult because there's no one size fits all solution uh, to some of the problems we have because of this diversity.
0: Yes. Um, interesting point about different climactic conditions. Just looking at the map, if you go all the way to the end of the Medoc, you're actually closer to Cognac as a town than you are to Bordeaux the city. Um, so that's a really interesting point, is that you know there is there are those microclimates even within in that area and of course with Atlantic weather you know there's a lot of variation so let's talk about Bordeaux's history and sustainability you often see these stats saying you know largest user of chemical inputs in France but that's because it's the one of the largest regions in France um
1: so big yeah
0: and a lot's been happening over the last 10 or 20 years I've been going there for about 15 years and, and talking about sustainability with producers and it's really accelerated in that time. And I imagine since you've been there, you know, a real really has changed. So what's how would you characterize the change? Have there been points where it's accelerated? Just really curious as to what your reflections are on, you know, your views there since since the late 80s.
1: Yeah, I think it has changed enormously. Everything in Bordeaux has changed enormously. Um, I think there's been a much more open-mindedness. So that goes for everything from opening the doors of the chateaus to opening the debate about winemaking methods to looking at the soils. And I think looking at the soils and understanding the soils and this notion of precision viticulture, really digging down into plot-by-plot viticulture has been really, really important for the quality and the consistency of the wine. But also making um, applying sustainability a lot easier, because when you've got a better understanding of the soil and what's going on locally, it's a lot easier to treat or not to treat or how to treat. So I think that's one of the big reasons behind it. I also think a fact that we forget a lot about uh, Bordeaux is that it the vast majority of the properties are family owned. Um, So there's a long history, you know, winemaking goes back to the Roman times in Bordeaux, but there's there's families there that have been five, six, seven generations in the same family. And the fact that a lot of these properties are family owned and not hugely wealthy, which isn't always the image that we have of Bordeaux, means that they haven't necessarily used tons of products in the past. They've almost been sustainable without trying to be sustainable. Um, And I think that family atmosphere or that family management and that notion of stewardship has been really important uh, in the region, which is something we bypass. And also, I would say, coming on to what you were saying about the climate, what's been really interesting is, as well as having a better understanding of the soils, this notion of terroir, we've had a better understanding of the climate. Everywhere you go now, the properties in Bordeaux, you'll see little weather stations dotted around. Um, So this understanding of the climate, and this is important because we now know know, the big bugbear in Bordeaux is, of course, humidity, right? We're on the Atlantic coast, as you said, um, and mildew and odium and rot issues are a challenge, uh, putting it politely, uh, in certain vintages. So now we have very precise modelling of diseases like odium and mildew. And understanding weather patterns means, I would say, one of the big things is people are not treating prophylactically anymore. They're not treating just in case, which is what they did before. They would blanket treat just in case we had uh, mildew. Now we know when we're going to have mildew. We model the diseases so that we have much more precision in the way we treat. So I would say those are some of the, the major changes that you can see in the vineyards.
0: Yes, that precision element is really important, isn't it? I mean, I I see it in other areas of agriculture. Increasingly, you can use technology that just scans a row of crops and says, oh, here's a plant with the beginnings of disease in it. Let's go out and treat it. So you don't even have to treat the whole row or the whole field. You can literally treat one plant and make sure it doesn't spread. And that sort of technology-driven precision agriculture seems absolutely key in the future. And so rolling that out, getting it into the hands getting it used along with those models will be really the key to, to reducing chemical use, I imagine, and making I think, sure the right I input.
1: Think so. And I think what's so interesting, in, in the same property, you're going to see them bringing in horses to plough between the vines instead of using herbicide. And on the same property, they're going to have drones going through to check the health of the vines. So you've got this kind of old and the new technology working together, which I think is uh, which is really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's... It's a, it's a nice, nice image you paint, um, particularly with technology, you know, being put to good use as opposed to annoying us in parks or being used in creepy ways by governments. Um, so the big brands, we'll talk about them briefly, and then actually we're going to talk more about the smaller, the smaller firms because they're more interesting, the smaller chateau. But the big brands have have, have all got their sustainability initiatives. Increasingly, it's it's gone from something that perhaps didn't happen quite so seriously 10 or 15 years ago to every big Bordeaux chateau has its sustainability strategy now. Um, and it's quite interesting to see that evolution, you know, whether it's carbon capture at Montrose, biodynamics famously at Palmer um, and smith fee of course, one of the first, you know, there are, there are many, many initiatives taking place now. Um, do you see these, these the, the, the bigger chateaus starting to join up join up the, 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 the dots a bit on how they're doing it? Or are they also doing their own thing, which is, you know, perhaps 80% the same?
1: Um, I think, well, they definitely talk to each other. That's for sure. And uh, there's definitely a conversation going on between the properties. I think every property seems to have a different philosophy. So some of them are really, really engaged and talk about it a lot. Ponticane is the classic example. You know, they've gone biodynamic. They're passionate about it. It's so obvious as soon as you go into the vineyard, um, their whole philosophy is is biodynamics. Um, Then you've got other properties like Lafitte and Latour that are organic and biodynamic in some cases, but they just don't talk about it that much. Um, And some people are working biodynamically, but they choose not to be certified and that, you know, there's there's an interesting conversation about why you wouldn't wouldn't be uh, would be certified, but they just choose not to communicate so and I think. You know, if you're buying Chateau Latour or Chateau Lafitte, you're not necessarily buying it. I think it's unlikely that the fact it's organic or biodynamic is going to alter your purchasing decision. Uh, you're buying Lafitte because it's Lafitte or Latour because it's Latour. Um, so they are doing it for reasons that they see the advantage in the quality of the wine, undoubtedly. Um, but also because it's there, they feel this a certain sense of responsibility and perhaps um sustainability in the sense of through time, uh, keeping keeping the soils uh, healthy for as long as possible. So there's there's definitely a communication between the properties. there's an awareness um, that's obvious. They are the locomotive of Bordeaux, these big names. so it's really, really important uh, that they uh, they are sustainable. but whether they talk about it commercially or not, it's uh, it's an individual choice now.
0: Yeah, I mean, even some communications better than how it used to be. In my experience, luxury brands have all struggled marketing-wise to think about sustainability as an opportunity because I think they've been worried, overly so actually, about the denigration of their brand by talking about sustainability. I think that's really changed now. It's just something people expect, so you might as well make the most of it. Whereas perhaps in the past it was a bit more, you know, will people think our products are not as good because we have a sustainability approach? So that's really great to see. And um, they're, they're the ones who get a lot of headlines, of course, but um, in a minute, we'll talk about the smaller producers. But before that, what are the initiatives that are really driving change in Bordeaux? I mean, there's lots of three and four letter acronyms floated around, um, aren't there? It's quite, quite a, an alphabet soup to keep up with. Could you just give us a, a bit of an overview of some of the initiatives that are making a difference in, in Bordeaux across the board?
1: yeah, it is very complicated. Um and I think, in a way, you know people shoot themselves in the foot because they've got so many initiatives going on. But, When you look at the history of it, I think you've had labels that have been around for a very long time. So organic, everybody can't—well, at least everybody thinks they know what organic is—and the precision around organic is uh, is much more precise now than it used to be. Because it was wine made from organic grapes, and now we have organic wine. So organic, not just in the vineyard, but what's happening in the in the wine cellar. But as far as sustainability labels are concerned, the big one that's making a big push across france and not just for vin- for um, for wineries for for vineyards but across all agriculture is hve haute valeur environnementale and this has uh, been uh, i would say in the last 5 years become much more Um, obvious in in the wine because we're seeing it on labels. We're seeing this little macaron. Nobody really knows what it means outside of the producers. I don't think consumers are aware of it yet, which I think is a problem with a lot of labels. Um, But the reason why it's so successful um, is because it's championed by uh, the Minister of Agriculture and it's championed by the regional areas. So what's interesting in France, of course, is it's a big country. It's a big agricultural country. And the regional... Uh, councils, for want of a better word, and the regional um, offices of the Minister of Agriculture are very, very engaged. And they have the financial clout, they have the promotional clout, and they are using these finances to help producers engage with this HVE initiative. So the government is very much behind this. And I think it's one of the reasons why there's been such a huge uptake. Um, The other reason why it's been so successful is the role of the CIVB. So another acronym, the the Bordeaux Wine Council. And they have encouraged this process where um, producers come together to work together towards these certifications so the two main certifications that they do are the hve and then the iso certification that we can also talk about um so encouraging producers to work together this has been really successful especially i think for smaller producers but not only because it's Complicated getting a certification. Um, it's expensive because there is a cost to it. Um, but there's also, as well as the financial cost, there's a time cost. And when you're a small producer and you're making your wine and you're bottling your wine and you're harvesting and you've got your tractor out there, you know, a lot of these small uh, producers are very, very hands-on. You haven't necessarily got the time or the expertise to go into these certifications that are long-winded and complicated. So the CIBB has been really good about grouping people together using a consultant amongst 10, 15, or 20 different producers. And having spoken to producers that have gone down this sort of communal route to certification, one of the things that's been really positive is it's given them other producers to speak to. So in the same boat as them, um, to share a common experience and find common solutions as well as sharing at certain costs. So I think those are two of the initiatives probably that explain why there's been this big this big uptake in the, in the certification.
0: It's very interesting to see the trend because a lot of Bordeaux is, well, most of Bordeaux is these smaller chateaux, isn't it? Um, and they're the sort of backbone, but they don't get the credit um, in terms of, you know, the big names get all the attention uh, for, for reasons we can understand or, or know. So how are they how are they moving things on? I mean, I remember a few years ago talking to one of the leading producers that's known for being sustainable. And they said, well, you know, we'd love to do what, we, what we're doing in the main vineyard, in our smaller vineyard down the road, but we sell the wine for 10 euros a bottle to the trade. And we just can't afford to do the kind of stuff that we're doing. We have to spray, otherwise, we lose the crop. I mean, it's a marginal business. Is sustain- can sustainability be an opportunity for, for those sorts of folks? How do we get to that? I think that's the really interesting question, isn't it?
1: I think it is an opportunity for some of them because it's going to open up markets that perhaps weren't available to them before. You know, if you are a very well-known brand, people are buying your wine because of the brand. If you are a less well-known brand and, you know, we've got 6,000 vineyards, there's a lot of competition for a similar price point, a similar market. So having something else to say about your product, I think really does open up a different market. I think um, importers and consumers are asking the question around sustainability more and more, so it is a new opportunity. But talking about this working together as well, I think what's important is now when you look, look at the ODGs, so the ODGs are the managing organizations, if you like, for each different appellation. Even now to be able to get your qualification to call yourself, for example, a Saint Emilion, you are going to have to have Um, um, some kind of ecological certification and probably HVE. So... Yes, it's an opportunity, but it's also going to start to become an obligation. If you want to be able to market your wine under a known Bordeaux appellation, which, of course, you do as a producer. um, There are some people that are offbeat and and have a big enough following not to, but for the vast majority, they do. It's going to be an obligation. So, yes, it's an opportunity, but I think more and more it's also going to become uh, an obligation. I also think um, the notion of biodiversity, people have an image Mm -hmm of a wine as being a product of the countryside, of being a natural product. And I think one of the reasons people have held back, or perhaps some producers have held back in the past, is that by talking about a natural aspect to wine, they're frightened of saying, well, of course, wine's natural. They're frightened of a certain reaction, perhaps from consumers. What do you mean wine isn't natural or sustainable? So it's it's a delicate conversation to have, but I think there's been this um people are very encouraged to talk about this biodiversity and you see it in Margot, for example Margot as an appellation, has you know very famous properties that are uh, organic and biodynamic of course Chateau Margot at its heart but they are not the majority um so Margot is really pushing this notion of biodiversity, creating within the whole of the Appalachian, um, these green corridors, uh, increasing hedgerow planting, not um, not mowing the verges. So all these different initiatives and the whole of the Margot Appalachian, even the little guys that aren't classified, you know, the small crew artisan, uh, the crew water, etc. They profit from um, this movement. So, I think I've gone off on a bit of a tangent. I'm not sure I've really answered the question, but we can see that yes, there are definitely are opportunities there.
0: Yeah, there's um, there's a huge amount that can be done, isn't there, to, to promote the region beyond just the the core product. And I always think with wine labels, it's such a missed opportunity. You know, I mean, I, I talk about this a lot, but I, you know, there are banana companies putting QR codes on bananas. That you point your phone at them and then you're walking around an organic colombian banana farm why can't we do that with wine why can't we you know be seeing the vineyard it costs a bit it doesn't cost that much you just need to do the filming um and so on but i always think there's a huge opportunity to engage customers in the story of the wine even if the wine isn't perfect
1: yeah it's I like, agree. And a you do see a little bit, the crew Bourgeois, are a good example, they've got their QR code and you can go, it doesn't take you on a journey necessarily, but it does tell you more about the product and we're starting to see that but I'm, you know, I come back to the expense and as I say, the expense, not just in, in cost, but in, t- in money cost, but in time cost, and a certain, perhaps, um, Awareness of, of what those opportunities are that not every producer necessarily has all the time. I think it's changing with a younger generation of winemakers. Um, and this is something you hear across the wine world everywhere. I think there is this accessibility to, you know, the websites are more dynamic, uh, taking you from the label to the website and so people can uh, converse more. I also think Bordeaux has a really interesting way of selling the wine. 70% of Bordeaux wines is sold from through the Place de Bordeaux, uh, through the négociant system. So there hasn't always been this direct contact between the producer and the consumer. That is changing. I think that's changing quite dramatically. More and more uh, Chateaux, even ones that sell through Négociants, now have their own e-commerce website, mm. so there's a possibility to sell directly, and that's opening up this conversation. And of course, over an e-commerce website, over a website, they can get their message across a lot easier than they can on the label. But then, you know, how many bottles of Bordeaux are hand sold? Not many. You know, sixty percent of Bordeaux remains in France, and sixty percent of that sixty percent is sold on a supermarket shelf. Um, so the label you're absolutely right the label is the first point of contact for the vast majority of consumers
0: well there's so much more we could talk about I'm just flicking through your most recent article while we're talking and there are so many things in there which I highly recommend to listeners they look at so listeners do go to insidertasting.com look at Wendy's piece the who why when and how of sustainable Bordeaux and there's so much fascinating information you've assembled here Wendy I mean having done trying to do this kind of thing myself I know how long this takes so well done, because what you've done is really written quite a concise guide to what's going on, but with a lot of detail in there. I mean, there's so much happening with technology, with solar, with heat pumps. There's a lot happening um, with um, the consumer engagement, uh, the communications that we've talked about, the collaboration between chateaux, And of course, those institutions, certifications and regulatory agencies that are trying to drive... A better practice. So I commend the piece to you. We could keep talking about it for hours, but um, I guess all, po- all good podcasts must come to an end. So Wendy, thank you so much for your time and insights. We've just scratched the surface of your piece and I'll post a link to it um, where we can on the website below this podcast and uh, to all listeners I commend you to go and read Wendy's article and um, I'm sure she and I will be speaking again soon about all matters sustainable and Bordeaux but um, for now Wendy Narby thank you so much for your time and your insights today.